You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles, look with me this morning to the Gospel of John, Chapter 4. We are in this series, working our way through the Gospel of John, looking at the different miracles that Jesus performed. And uh, just a shout out for our communications department. They did a phenomenal job putting together not only the sermon notes, but I just want to invite you to the Go Deeper section on the back. Um, you know, it's not information that brings transformation. It's the application of information that brings transformation. It's as we take truth and apply it. And so a little section here for you to go deeper. So I just want to make you aware of that, um, to take that tool and put it to work. I was telling our communications department this week, I said, man, great job on the insert. I said, I only have one request. And they said, what's that? I said, can we get rid of that carp on the front and get a largemouth bass? I think when Jesus multiplied the fish, it was largemouth bass myself. So, as we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of John, we're really spotlighting Jesus. How many of you know it's a good thing to spotlight Jesus? Can we agree on that this morning? Um, and the miracles that he performed. And the good news for us is, is that Jesus is still performing miracles today. Can I get an amen on that? Hebrews 13.8 says this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what that simply means is this, what Jesus did, he's still doing. Who Jesus was, he still is. And so as we study through these miracles, um, seven miracles in the Gospel of John, not only should they give us insight, but it should also stir faith within us to believe for the same miracles. Why? Because Jesus is the same. He hasn't changed. Again, what he did, he's still doing. There would be some followers of Jesus today who would say that the days of miracles have ceased. It's, a, it's called a doctrine of cessationism. But here at Grace Covenant, we believe otherwise. We believe that Jesus is working in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's still taking Impossible situations and making impossible. He's taking situations where there seems to be no way and making a way in those, in those situations. Therefore, we pray bold prayers. Therefore, we contend for the miraculous. And I think what, we, what all of us know this morning is, is we can't do miracles. You know, I've tried to walk on water a few times and I haven't succeeded yet. Well, because I can't do miracles. You can't do miracles. But this is what we're confident of. God can. Not only can he, but we believe that, again, he still does. So what's our job? Our job is to ask and believe. Our job is to position and uh, to petition and to stand in faith, confident of God's ability. Our job is like to keep on asking. After all, get this, God won't answer 100% of the prayers that we don't pray. Think about that for a moment. He won't answer 100% of the prayers that we don't pray. So as we pray, we believe. And as we pray, we believe that God is able. Now, I'm reminded of a couple of stories that happened right here in our Grace Covenant family. There's a story of a, of a young couple. I don't know, maybe you would have been at this service. But there's a young couple in our church family who struggled with 13 years of infertility, longing to be blessed with children and walking through the disappointment and the struggle that comes with, with infertility, wondering why everyone else can conceive and bring forth life, but why they were not able to. 13 years of that. 
And at that particular time, we had in the alcoves on both walls, we had miracle boards. I don't know how many of you remember those, but they were like dry erase boards where individuals could write prayer requests, points of need on the board. And weekly, we were praying over those boards for God just to reveal his greatness. It was in the Christmas season, there was this young man uh, in the struggle of infertility came up to the board, and, and that's just what he wrote on the board, the challenge of infertility. It was the struggle they were having. We began to pray over that, along with a lot of other needs. Fast forward 10 years, two Sundays ago, I just dedicated their fifth baby, Jillianna. Matter of fact, this is their family. Sean and Vanessa, and they have five beautiful children. So out of the barrenness of the womb, out of the place of infertility, God has brought not only life once, but life five times. How many of you know God is able? God is able. Yeah, go ahead. Give the Lord a hand. Not me. You're giving him a hand. God is able to take barren places and bring life. I think of another lady who's a part of our Grace Covenant family who was diagnosed with stage 3 ovarian cancer the day before her 45th birthday. And she was told by the doctors that this was a, like a rare and aggressive form of cancer and that the survival rate was not good. They just kind of gave her the bottom line of her situation. And obviously, obviously when you get that kind of news, you're shaken, right, to the core of your being. For this young lady, she chose to believe that God was able. She continued the path, the prescribed treatment, uh, following the direction of the doctors. But at the same time, she stood confident in God's ability. And, and I want to read for you what she has recently posted on her Facebook page. I stood on God's word, and the moment I believed every word was true, my heart lined up with his word, and a miracle happened. I had a vision on November the 11th, 2019, he looked at me and said, daughter, your faith has made you well. In the moment I believed without a shadow of doubt, I was healed and it began to show. Doctors tell me, doctors would tell me toward the end of my treatment, people don't look as good as you do at this stage. If I didn't know any better, I would believe that you were completely healthy. My response was, I am healthy and I am healed. Sure enough, when I got the CT scan, I was told that there was no evidence of the disease of cancer in my body. You know, God's still doing miracles today. Amen? Even as he did for this lady. And God does the miraculous, though not just to meet us at our point of need. I think that's, that's part of the story. But God does the miraculous so that others will believe. To meet us at our point of need, to bring his help in our lives for our situations. But so that others will believe. And one of the greatest miracles, and I think oftentimes we miss this, one of the greatest miracles that could ever happen is when someone comes to embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Get this, at that point they go from death to life. At that point they come to embrace the true purpose, the true, uh, the true reason why they were created to live in relationship with God. At this point they move, from, they move to embrace that of the abundant life, the eternal life, that God has them, all because they chose to become a follower of Jesus. And it's interesting that as John is at the end of his letter, at the end of the gospel, end of the book that he wrote, he actually states the reason that he's telling these stories. Because really, John's like a first-hand eyewitness. I mean, he was there. He saw Jesus do these miracles. And he recorded them 
In John chapter 20, verse 31, he tells us why he's recorded these stories for us. Listen to how the scripture reads. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus is the one who gives life. Not only life that comes when someone chooses to believe, but as we're going to see in this miracle recorded in John chapter 4, Jesus is able to bring life out of situations where death seems inevitable. So in John 4, let me give you the background to the text that we want to read this morning. In John chapter 4, we have the story of a royal official, most likely a Gentile, not a Jewish man. A Gentile man who is in a place of authority. He's in a place where he has control. He's in a place where he's able to make things happen. Because he has what? He has authority. He has power. He has has position. But he was in a state of crisis. And his point of need was not for himself. His point of need was for his son. Now for those of us who are parents this morning, I think you would... You would agree that when your child is sick, or let's say if your child is at the point of death, if it possible, you would take their place. Every parent's nodding in their head. We know what that meant. When your kids are sick, you wish you could take their place. You wish you could take the sickness they had. So so keep that in mind as we're reading this story. That's the place this dad would have been. He's watched his son grow sicker and sicker every day. Not knowing what the end would be, but what it looked like is that if if there was not immediate intervention, that his son was going to die. And here's the challenge for the father, like he had no solution for his crisis, but he had heard, he had heard about this man named Jesus. Now he had never met Jesus at this point, but he had heard about the miracles that he had done. So in his troubling situation, he seeks out Jesus and he asks him to come and heal his son. It was A.W. Pink who made this statement. It is well when trouble leads a man to God instead of away from God. You know, the reality is in, the reality is in life is you're going to have crisis like a sick child. Like a medical need that you can't resolve. Like a financial need that you can't resolve. I mean, in the story we're going to read today, it's a desperate dad. In relation to a situation with his son, that's his crisis. But this is what I know about life, and this is what I know about humanity, is we all come to different times and places of crisis. And the question is always this. Is our time of desperation going to drive us to God, the one who's able? Or is our time of crisis, desperation, going to drive us away from God? How are we going to respond? to those times and places that we come to in our own life. The desperation, I believe, opens up an opportunity for faith to work. And faith at work then opens the way for miracles. Faith at work opens the way for God to work in our lives to do what we're not able to do. And that's what we're going to discover as we look at this story. John chapter 4, if you have your scripture, look with me to verse 46. That's where we want to begin. Once more, he visited Canaan and Galilee. How many of you remember from last week, Pastor David did an awesome job. What was the first miracle that Jesus did? He turned water to wine. And so they're returning back to this place called Canaan where Jesus 
like performed the first miracle where he really began this whole process of, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. It was the process beginning his road, if you will, to the cross. So they returned to Canaan. And there was a certain royal official there whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son. Notice who was close to death. So it's a critical situation. Verse 48, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. Notice this next line. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when this son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time as Jesus had said, your son will live. So he and all of his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. So in this, in this story, we have a desperate dad. Maybe he was like most men, um, and that most men like to fix things, right? We like to fix things, right, men? But now we have a male, we have a dad who has a situation that he can't fix. Even with his authority, even with his title and position, this dad has found himself with something that he can't, he can't resolve on his own. His son is ill and, and death seems inevitable. Now, we don't know what medical means they may have tried up to this point, but it's obvious whatever they've been trying has not worked. And the scripture says that his son is close to, close to death. So his family, so, so, so this man and his family are in a state of crisis and he hears about Jesus. He hears about this man. He's never met him before, but he hears about the miracle that happened in Canaan. That Jesus had taken six large jars of water, pure H2O, and turned it into wine. Possibly he's thinking, if he can turn water to wine, then maybe, maybe he can heal my son. If he can turn water to wine, maybe he can take this impossible situation that I'm facing and bring a turnaround in this situation. So he and his family are in this state of crisis, and the scripture tells us that he travels from Capernaum to Canaan, and it's not like you, you know, he got in his car and like drove down the road and arrived at Canaan. It would have been 16 and a half miles from Capernaum to Canaan. Most likely he walked 16 miles because he heard that there was a man who could do miracles. He heard there was a man who, who he thought might be able to bring help in his situation. And as he comes to Jesus, he's like, hey, will you come with me to Capernaum? And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't respond to his request. Actually, Jesus just said, your son will live. In other words, get this, Jesus sent the word and the miracle happened. Don't miss that. I think that's a significant part of the story. Jesus didn't travel from Canaan to Capernaum. He sent the word and the miracle happened. Listen, distance is not a problem for Jesus, right? 
sent the word, the miracle happened. So, so what can we learn from this miracle about our times of crisis? Because again, I think we come to situations, maybe for you it's not the death of a son or, or the sickness, the illnesses of a son. That crisis may come in a different package. It may look different. But how do we respond to these times of crisis in our own lives? And how can we put our faith to work? There's five quick lessons I'm going to give you from this story we just read. I think the first, the first thing we can learn is, is take time to look back. Interesting, as John is writing his account of this story, it starts in verse 46 where, where John writes this, Jesus visited Cana where he turned water into wine. In other words, it's almost like a statement of reflection. It's looking back to what Jesus did, this miracle of, of the transformation of the, of the water to wine. It was also this miracle that gave the dad hope and stirred faith within him that caused him to walk 16 miles to seek help from Jesus. And I think this, the same is true in our lives. When we come to times of crisis or times of need, what do we need to do? We need to recall God's faithfulness of the past. We need to kind of look over the shoulder a bit. When God brought his provision at a point of financial need, maybe when God brought his power at a time of sickness, when God brought his wisdom when you needed guidance, that kind of looking back over our shoulder. Because when we recall God's faithfulness of the past, what does it do? It stirs faith in the present, right? When we recall God's faithfulness of the past, it gives us confidence in like in what we might be presently navigating through. You know, I, I think of just my own situation and a bit of what I'm processing through presently. You know, we're building this new facility out back that's getting ever so close to us being in it, the Grace Life Center. Exciting. Thank you for your financial partnership. Dollars are coming in, but here's the reality. Our spend at this point is greater than the dollars that are coming in. Just the process of construction and the process of development. So we have this reality of a growing debt. Every month when I get the financial statements, I see the number has got has gotten larger because we've spent more because we're getting close to the end of the project. So now we're into the millions as it relates to debt. And my tendency, out of my humanity, I can look at the debt that's growing and I can be full of anxiety and worry and concern. Now, I, I, to be honest, I don't worry much over that. At times I, I have concerns. I don't worry much over that. But when that does happen, it's always helped for me to look over my shoulder to the past. And I think back to the year of 1999 when we first moved on to this property and we built 32,000 square feet at a cost of about $4.2 million. And I remind myself, God was faithful to bring us provision. And we came to a place of being debt free. And then in 2004, we added 50,000 square feet at a price tag of about $7.5 million. And God was faithful to bring his provision and we came to a place of being debt-free. And then, then there was the, the uh, expansion of our East Lincoln campus. We bought a building and we remodeled the building at a cost of $1.2 million And God was faithful to bring us provision. And then we bought 10 acres for our East Lincoln congregation of 400, about 400000 And God was faithful to bring us provision. 
And in the midst of all of that, we built a neighborhood care center at a cost of about 250000 and God was faithful to bring His provision. As I look over my shoulder and as I've seen what God has done, you know what it does? It gives me confidence in my present reality. So I think the first thing we need to know when you come to times and places of crisis, you know, it's, it's helpful to take time to look back at the points and places of God's faithfulness. In Psalm 77, the psalmist is writing about a time of crisis in his life. And we don't know exactly what the crisis was, but he's at a time of intense struggle. Matter of fact, hold your finger there in John chapter 4. Look with me to Psalm 77. It's about like right in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 77. The author of this psalm is a gentleman by the name of Asaph. And I want, I want you to catch the intensity of his struggle and the questions that he's asking in the midst of the reality of his crisis, beginning with verse 7. He says, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, verse 10, to this I will appeal. The years are the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Did you catch the change of attitude and outlook that Asaph has? Why? In the midst of his crisis, he chose to look over his shoulder at the past faithfulness of God. In the midst of whatever he was presently navigating through, all of a sudden he had a different outlook. Why? Because he saw the faithfulness of God. So as you're in a time of crisis, the first thing I would encourage you to do is that it's always helpful to kind of take time to look back at how God has been faithful in your life and for your family. Here's a second lesson we can learn about putting our faith to work is this. Don't be afraid to embrace times of desperation. Listen, it does you no good to deny the very reality you're facing. Just ignoring the situation, whatever it is, is is not going to make it go away. Rather than ignoring it, we need to embrace it while knowing that Jesus is able to work in our lives to turn it around. Verse 47, John chapter 4, verse 47 says, When this dad heard that Jesus arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. For this desperate dad, this is what he realized, that it was not a miracle that his son was going to die. And as he embraced the reality of his situation, he was motivated to seek the one who could turn death to life. Again, notice, as he embraced the reality of his situation, it was that situation that gave him the opportunity to release faith. And his faith was released. The miraculous happened. But again, get this. It happened as he fully embraced the situation. You know, I, I know Christ followers today, Christians, that I've had conversations with um, who would say, you know, you, you just need to stay on the positive side. 
You know, just if something happens, don't, don't mention it. Don't talk about it because that would be acknowledging it and that would be moving to negative confession. And we don't want to be negative. We want to stay positive and we want to stay on the positive. Now, I'm, I'm all for being positive. I'm like, I'm like optimist all of the time. I live my life that way. But I don't believe just by ignoring a reality that we're going through is going to make it go away. What I believe... I believe that we should like embrace the reality of what we're experiencing, yet knowing that, that God is greater than that reality. And that we should, see, we should see the situation, the crisis that we're facing, like through the cross. Again, just denying it, it's not going to make it go away. I, I've talked with individuals who received a diagnosis of cancer before, as horrible as that is. But, but like when you were around them, you couldn't, you couldn't say the word cancer. It's like if we just pretend that it's not there, and if we don't confess it, then we, you know, maybe it'll go away. And my understanding of Scripture and my theology is like, no, let's, let's bring the cross to the situation. And before you can bring the cross to the situation, we have to acknowledge the reality of the situation. Are you following me? And we don't just deny the reality. I mean, like, like this desperate dad, he embraced the situation like if something doesn't happen, like there's going to be a funeral. If something doesn't happen, my son's going to die. That's the reality of the situation. Therefore, I'm going to bring Jesus into this situation. So in desperate times, we don't want to just, we don't want to just ignore reality. We don't want to just like not talk about it. We, we should allow the desperate time to press us to seek God. Well, we want to run to God, not run from God. So don't be afraid to embrace those times of desperation. I think here's a third lesson we can learn about putting faith to work. Faith moves us beyond the emotion of the situation. Beyond the emotion of the situation. Now, obviously... This dad was emotionally shaken. I mean, he's been watching his son grow sicker every day, and now it's critical. Like, he's, he's at death's door. And if, if something doesn't happen, he realizes he's going to be burying his own son. So what does he do? He partners faith with action. And he moves beyond the emotion of the situation. Interesting Verse 49, this, this desperate dad asked Jesus to come with him to heal his son, but, but Jesus doesn't go. Actually, he just says to this dad, you may go, your son will live. And then we have the next line in Scripture, which I think is an awesome statement. Notice how the Scripture reads, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. In other words, the man was fully convinced that what Jesus said would happen would happen so he went on his way. But there was this partnering of, of faith and action. It's interesting, like there was no conversation here of this dad like haggling with Jesus, arguing with Jesus, pleading with Jesus. You know, you got to come with me. You got you to come with me to Capernaum. You have to come and, and pray for my son. We don't see any of that. The dad... Heard what Jesus said. He said, your son's going to live. He believed. He departed and, and went on his way. It, it's obvious that this dad was fully convinced. He was fully convinced that Jesus would do what he said he would do. As he goes on his way, as we read in the story, 
He goes on his way. It's like his servants are coming from Capernaum to Canaan because they have great news. And the great news is what? The son's alive, right? The sickness is gone. The, the situation's completely turned around. So the servants are coming from Capernaum to Canaan. He's coming from Canaan back to Capernaum. They meet and they exchange stories and they come to find at the exact hour, at the exact hour that Jesus had spoke the word, the miracle happened. The son was healed. It was faith partnered with action. See, faith's not about what we feel, it's about what we do. Faith's not an emotion, it's an action. Because we, because we believe, we act. And the acting then becomes proof of our faith. You know, James 2.17 says this, that faith without action is dead. So we're partnering faith and action. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's having that confidence. See, faith is being so certain that we act, so certain that we move, that we take God at his word. I mean, that's what, that's what the desperate dad did. And he was fully convinced, so he went on his way. He was fully convinced that what Jesus said would happen, happen that his son would live. How many of you know, how many of you know you can't see faith? Are you with me? You, you can't see. It's kind of like the wind. How many of you can see the effects of wind, right? But you can't see the wind. It's the same with faith. You can see the effects of faith, but you can't see faith. It's the effects of our faith. It's the action of our faith that becomes critical. I mean, we, we, we see this. We see this throughout, throughout Scripture, how faith is revealed in action. I think of the story in Mark chapter 2 of the man who was paralyzed. And he had four friends. Maybe you recall the story. He had four friends. And they had heard that Jesus was coming to town. And they thought, boy, if we could just get our friend to Jesus, then Jesus would heal him. He would no longer be paralyzed. So these four friends go and they get their paralyzed buddy on a stretcher and they, and they carry him to Jesus. And when they come to the house where Jesus is out at, there's like so many people they couldn't even begin to get to the house. And rather than giving up, rather than saying to the buddy, sorry man, it's just not your day. Scripture says that they did something pretty radical. They climbed up on the roof and they tore a hole in the roof to let their, their buddy down to Jesus. And what's interesting in the miracle, you can check this out in Mark chapter 2. What's interesting in the miracle is the scripture says that Jesus looked at the four men and the scripture says he saw their faith. He saw their faith. And we just said that you can't see faith. So what did Jesus see? Jesus saw the action of their faith. See, faith is revealed through our action. And Jesus responds to the faith, and the paralyzed man is, man is healed. We see the same thing happen in Mark chapter 5. There's a, a woman who's been ill for 12 years. The scripture says that she has this issue of, of, of hemorrhaging. There's this loss of blood for 12 years. She's gone to all of these doctors. She's tried all of these medical means, and like nothing has solved the problem. And she hears about Jesus. And she thinks, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just like touch his garment, I know I'll be healed. 
And so in her weakened state, again, 12 years of blood loss, in her weakened state, she fights her way through the crowd. She touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and instantly she's healed. And what's interesting is as Jesus addresses this woman who was sick and now she's whole, when Jesus addresses her, the Scripture says that he spoke about her faith. He says, daughter, it's your faith that's made you whole. Her faith was demonstrated in her action. So as we think about coming to times and and places of crisis, but we we want to move beyond the emotion of the moment to partner faith with action, and it's in that that God that God does the miraculous. We want to be like the desperate dad, and that we take Jesus at His word, and what we move. It's not the desperate dad that Jesus spoke, and He says, "Okay, it's done," and He went on His way. We take Jesus at His word. We move to action. Here's a fourth lesson really quick that we can learn about putting our faith to work. We need to recognize the big picture. The big picture of what Jesus is doing. In this story in John 4, the the dad came seeking Jesus, hoping that Jesus would travel back with him, as I said, to Capernaum. I think in his mind he thought that like Jesus had to be present to do the miracle. In his mind, that's the way he saw this happening. Like, I'm going to go get Jesus, and Jesus is going to come back with me. We're going to have a good conversation as we're traveling the 16 miles. And then he's going to see my son. He's going to pray over my son or speak something over my son, and my son will be healed. Like, that's the way he saw this playing out. But yet Jesus, like, worked in a different way than what he had expected. Jesus didn't travel with him, as we read in the story. Jesus just spoke the word. He sent the word and the son was healed. You know, I think oftentimes, oftentimes we get stuck in the emotion of the moment or the, like the pain of the moment, the pressing need of the moment, and, and we fail to realize the bigger picture of what Jesus might be doing. We, we try to put Jesus like in our box, in our box of how we think, okay, he has to work like this. And if you haven't figured this out, folks, Jesus is bigger than your box. And oftentimes he works in ways that's different than how you thought this might happen. I think it's helpful for us to recognize the bigger picture of of what Jesus is doing. And see, our faith should not be based simply on on what Jesus can do. Our faith should be grounded in our experience of who Jesus is. And this is, this is who He is. He's the faithful one. He's the one who's always working for our good, even if we can't see it at the moment. He's the one who at times will even work in a, in a different way than what we might have expected. So don't put Jesus in a box with your limitations. Recognize the bigger picture as you confidently Believe for his work. The bigger picture of what Jesus might be doing in your life and in the situation you're navigating through. Here's a final lesson that we can learn about putting our faith to work. It's this. Don't be surprised at the impact of your faith. And what might happen as a result of you partnering faith with action and the miraculous happening in your life. How that might impact the lives of others. See, this is what I know. Your faith in action has the power to change someone else's life. As people see and experience Jesus working in you and through you, 
and their lives, their lives are going to be changed. I mean, that's what happens in this story in, in John chapter 4. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but in this passage of Scripture we read this morning, there's not one miracle, there's actually two miracles. Did you see that? Obviously, the one miracle is what? The son was healed, right? Jesus sent the word, and the son who was on death's door is now fully alive. That's the first miracle. The second miracle was that this ruler and his whole household came to believe. They came, they came to the place of saying, wow, this must really be the Messiah. This, this must be the the son of God. Listen as I read verse 53. It says, Then the father realized that this was the exact same time at which Jesus said, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. So as a result of the miracle, as a result of the work of Jesus, the, the whole family came to Believe and to embrace Christ as the Messiah. Listen, this is what I'm confident of today. Our faith in action has the power to influence the faith of others. When our friends, when our peers, when our family members actually see the reality, the power of Jesus at work in our lives, then when it becomes a living testimony, get this, of who He is and what He can do. As they begin to see the reality of, of how Christ has revealed His provision, this greatness in your life, then more than just a scripture that they're reading, it becomes the reality of that of God's work present. And then their lives, their lives are changed. As I began this morning, I, I mentioned the story of the lady who has been healed of this stage three ovarian cancer. And right now, she's telling her story everywhere she can, every way she can, social media, if anyone will listen. She's telling the story of what God's done in her life. And it's amazing how her God story is impacting the lives of others. Now, this is what I know. People can argue theology with you, but they can't argue with your testimony. They can't argue with, this is what God has done in my life. So this is what I know. As we partner faith and action, the miraculous happens. Why? Because God's still in the miracle working business. God is still the God of the supernatural, who's still doing the supernatural today. And as, as that happens in our lives, and as we tell our story, then what? Other people come to experience Jesus. You know, if we go back to John 20, verse 31, John's saying, hey, I'm rec I've recorded these stories for you. Not just so you could be fascinated, not just so you could be wild. I've recorded these stories for you so that you would see and know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in... And seeing, you might believe. That's what happened here for this royal official and his whole family. They came to faith in Christ. So in the midst of, in the midst of this, like the father probably couldn't see it in advance, but his son was brought to the point of death for a reason. And through the desperation, the father 
put the put faith to work, and as a result, his son was healed, and his entire family experienced life-changing faith that led to eternal life. So who knows how Jesus might want to work in your life as you partner faith in action? And if Jesus can send the word and the healing happens, then I believe he can send his word today. Amen. And if Jesus is still in the miracle working business. As I said earlier, what he did, he's still doing. So today, like the desperate dad, what we want to do is we want to present our situations to the one who's able. Because we believe that Jesus can send his word and bring that healing. Jesus can send his word. And bring that of his provision. And so we boldly ask. So we partner our faith with our action. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you today for who you are and for how you work. God, I thank you today for the miracle of salvation. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to reveal that of the way of the Father, the power of the Father, the provision of the Father. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That what you did, you're still doing. Therefore, therefore we pray bold prayers. Therefore, we partner faith with action. Therefore, like the desperate dad, we take you at your word and we move forward. Knowing that you're able. Knowing that there's no situation beyond your ability. Knowing that you're the God who can turn situations around. That you can bring life out of death. You can bring fertility out of barrenness. Because you're the God of miracles. That's what we believe. With every head bowed and eye closed, possibly you're in a place today. Where you would say, I need a miracle in my life. I need God's intervention in this place of crisis in my life today. So just as Jesus sent the word and the son was healed, so I believe he can send the word today into your situation. Comes in a lot of different ways. Maybe it's not a sick son. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a medical need. I, I don't know what it would be, but this is what I know. Jesus is still doing miracles today. So if you're in a place where you would say, hey, I need miraculous intervention in this place in my life, I want to ask you to stand at your feet right now. I want to pray for you before we close this service. I, I believe, I'm fully confident that Jesus is able, that he can send his word into your situation. You know, some folks in the balcony, anyone else would just say, hey, I'm in a place today where I need miraculous intervention. I need a miracle in this place in my life. Anyone else? Lord, today I join my faith with individuals who are standing. God, I don't know the situation. I don't know the crisis that they're walking through. But God, what I do know today is that you're able now, what I know is you can take situations where there seems to be absolutely no solution, no answer. Even situations where there seems to be like death is at the door. And you can 
You can turn those situations around. You can bring life out of those situations. And so, Lord, I just agree. Lord, your word says, come boldly to your throne of grace. So we do that this morning. God, I pray for your power, your provision to be revealed. Jesus, even as you've sent your word. And the young boy was healed. So I ask God that you send your word this morning into each and every one of these situations. Reveal your greatness, I pray. And Lord, as you work, and I know you will. As you work, God, may we be those who are quick to tell the story. That others might come to believe. That others might see and know that you are the Messiah. That you are the Savior of the world. So God, again, bring your provision. Work miraculously. I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.